You're listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle of Gary Cottle Ministries on today's edition. Who is he that condemneth? This word condemn means to place judgment or a sentence upon. The devil doesn't even have the right to do that. But he's going to condemn you if he can. He knows he really that he's not going to convince God that you're condemned. But he's going to try to convince you. This is the part of the enemy. And you've got somebody that's coming to you constantly trying to beat you down and keep you from living in the victory that already belongs to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You feel bad about yourself? Even as a believer in Jesus, you still feel condemned? Today, Pastor Gary teaches us that the devil is at war with you for your mind. Satan can't convince God you are bad, so instead, he tries to convince you. Just remember, the enemy has no right to beat you up, but wars against you anyway. Your victory comes by listening to what God declares about you, not what Satan says to you. Let's war against Satan by constantly washing our minds with the truth of God's Word. Now here's Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 8 as he begins his message, This Means War. A lot of people blame religion for the wars of the world. The truth be known, if everybody would just submit to God, there'd be no wars. So it's not God's fault, it's our rebellious fault. And one day the Prince of Peace is going to come make war with the armies of the world to forever settle peace in the earth. To oppose those that oppose themselves and defeat their armies. I mean, if you want to fight with God, you can go ahead and bring it on. But you will lose that fight. And we're in a war today, not because religious people are stubborn, as much as because people in general are stubborn and prideful and arrogant. Amen. And opposing the Word of God. The minute we realize that God seeks a peaceful relationship with all of His creation, the better off we'll be. When we fight God, it is because we choose to fight God. For he has made a way where we could find peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason there are wars and rumors of wars is because men's hearts are full of pride and greed and darkness and sin and arrogance and lust and all of those things which contradict God's will for their lives. And so how can we love one another when we don't even love our Creator? If you loved your Creator, you would love your Creator's heart. And if you knew your Creator's heart, you would know that He loves everyone. The reason we hate each other and fight each other and kill each other is because we don't agree with God. We don't love like God loves. So don't blame God. It's our own fault when we're at war. Uh, Now know this, if you have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you've made peace with God, you're still in a war. Because now the enemy wants to destroy you and everything that you represent to keep you quiet about the Prince of Peace. We talked about how the cross of Calvary won the war of our soul. And uh, one day Christ will speak the sword of God's word from his mouth and defeat the armies of the earth. And it will be based upon the power that was granted him at Calvary. 
It was after Calvary that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Amen. And so it is because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, having been placed far above all principalities and powers, and Satan and all of his minions are under Christ's feet. Amen. He stripped them of all of their powers at the cross. The Bible said he spoiled them and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Gods of this world are still trying to fight a losing battle. But make no mistake, it is still a fight. And so that's the premise upon which we want to enter into our text today. From Romans chapter 8, we'll begin reading verses 31 through, and we'll read through verse 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? These things are referencing all of the things that happen to us in this life. Struggles. I mean, if you looked at uh, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good. It didn't say all things were good, but it did say that all things work together for good to them that love God, right? And he, he's speaking of the secure place that we are in Christ, regardless of the external circumstances. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Then it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Then watch your Bible, nay, or no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that what? Loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I want to open with this question, who can be against us? This means war. When the Bible asks who can be against us, it is implying that there are those who would position themselves against us, uh, frail as their efforts may be. The Bible says, for example, that no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. It didn't say that the weapon would not be formed. It just said that it would not prosper. And so even though there are those who oppose us, there are those who are against us it does not mean that they will win the war against us but make no mistake there is a war going on for the soul of america 
and for the soul of the individual and for the soul of the family. And it can be won at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make an announcement to those of you who are still wrestling with the decision of whether or not you want to receive Christ as your Savior. That God and the devil are both after your soul and you cast the winning ballot. You can decide to give your heart and life to Christ or you can decide to allow the enemy to have his way. You can choose life or you can choose death. It's your choice. Foolish as it may sound, way too many choose the path of death. Because the God of this world has blinded their minds lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and believe in their heart the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I got an announcement for you today. As long as there's breath in my lungs, as God graces me with the privilege of speaking into your life, I am going to make war over your soul. I am going to fight for you, and I'm going to love you enough to tell you the God-honest truth that you need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I make no apologies for being clear. We are in a world where everybody wants to muddy the waters. Nobody wants to speak plainly. In fact, they would rather speak the opposite of truth rather than the truth itself. Gone are the days where the enemy gives you 99% truth and 1% error. Now he just speaks total opposite to truth and declares that as truth. Think about that for a minute. When right is wrong and wrong is right, when, when Chuck Schumer, I think it was, said that it was a dark day in America when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I believe he was quoted as saying something to the effect that it was one of the darkest days in American history. Now that's calling wrong right, and that is foolishness, and that is blindness in whom the God of this world blinded his heart and mind. Can I get an amen? You need to understand that there's a war going on for your soul. Because many people today, they think that the preaching is foolish. In, in fact, the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching, right? To convict and to convince those who are lost of their need for a Savior. Now, uh, it, he didn't say he chose foolish preaching. He said he chose the foolishness of preaching. Preaching is not foolish, but it may be foolishness to those who do not understand the power of the preaching of the cross. I remember I went to church many times before uh, September the 9th of 1990 when I first actually heard the gospel in my spirit for the first time. And the day that the Lord turned the lights on in my heart and soul and mind was the day that I realized the power of the preaching of the cross. And up till that day, it didn't make much sense to me. Up till that day, I struggled to understand. And many today still scoff and mock. But you know what? God has made many mockers and many scoffers believers in the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the cross. And today, I do not offer unto you skits and dramas. I do not offer to you entertainment and music as a way to convince you. I present to you God's method for convincing sinners of their need for a Savior. I present to you the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ for 
It is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And today we need to lean back heavy into the preaching of the cross. America has got tired of preaching. And America has replaced preaching with anything but preaching. Because we've become more concerned with filling the pews than we have filling the soul with the truth of God's word. And my friend, they're not the same thing. Amen. It's not the same thing as building attendance as it is building faithful followers of the truths of God's word. In fact, I dare say you'll be a whole lot less successful today filling up a pew when you preach pure truth than you would doing the alternative. Amen, church. And today this is a war and we cannot play around and we cannot try to reinvent the wheel and try to propose methods to God that we think would work better than the way God said do it. Today we must roll up our sleeves, square our shoulders back and declare that we are in the army of the living God and we must declare truth at all costs. Amen. I like what I heard one preacher say the other day I was watching a clip on a bold man preaching the truth of God's word. He said you want my head? Here it is. Come get it. But I'm not going to change a thing that God said in his word because his word is not to be compromised. Can I get an amen this morning? This is war. And when it's war, you must fight with truth to win the battle. Now look at the plot. I want to look at three things quickly. The plot is this. I see this. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You know, the enemy's got a plot. He's going to try to pit God against you, and he's going to try to pit you against God. Now watch and follow me real quickly. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? Now remember, we've already established the truth that the weapons may be formed, but they need not prosper. So here's the thing. I'm glad for the day that on September the 9th, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and here's why. Because the enemy is still making false charges against me. Amen. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And listen to me. The enemy is going to make charges. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge or the account of God's elect? Whenever I was growing up uh, at home, uh, uh, we was within walking distance of an old country store. And daddy had what they called a credit account. One month, uh, we made the mistake of going down there one too many times and putting things on Daddy's credit account without his verbal permission. And uh, <laughs> he accrued a debt, amen, because his children were making too many uh, unapproved transactions. And, of course, I remember when Daddy uh, scolded us, and then he went up to the store owner and scolded him uh, for allowing his children to come up there and run up his bill. Can you imagine such a sight? And you got to know my daddy, when he gets hot, he gets hot. Amen. And uh, I remember him fussing about that. But you know, uh, it got me to thinking about sometimes how the enemy will come up and he will start talking to you about your past that's already up under the blood as if you've got a bill that is yet to be paid. And he'll cause you to try to live in guilt and shame over something that the blood has already cleansed as a believer in Jesus Christ. And what the Bible is saying is, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
You see, the enemy charges. This means he essentially calls an alleged debt. Have you ever heard of the old phrase where they called for the loan, where the bank calls and says it's time to pay up? Uh, this is one of the reasons, as I understand history, correct me if I'm wrong, Miss Peggy, that we went into such a great depression back in the 30s is a lot of the banks uh, just started calling their loans. They really wanted a whole lump sum all up front. Amen. And, of course, since they've created laws to where they can't just do it all at once anymore, and hopefully uh, that's helped us and will continue to help us. But when someone calls a loan that you owe, you better pay up. Now, the enemy's going to use those charges against you. Many of them are fake, but if you're lost, they could be true. Amen. Uh, if you're lost, they could be true. But what business does the devil have accusing the lost? They're going to go to hell anyway. He don't need to convince God of your lostness. He's going to try to convince God that you aren't worthy of his blood. And many of you are living under guilt and condemnation. Amen. And it's a battle strategy. The enemy's trying to get you to feel like you're unworthy to serve God so that you'll sit there feeling sorry for yourself and thinking that God don't love you and living under things that God's already forgiven you for. The enemy also condemns. Verse 34 teaches us this. I'm talking about the plot of the enemy. Who is he that condemneth? This word condemn means to place judgment or a sentence upon. The devil doesn't even have the right to do that. But he's going to condemn you if he can. He knows he really that he's not going to convince God that you're condemned. But he's going to try to convince you. This is the plot of the enemy. And you've got somebody that's coming to you constantly trying to beat you down and keep you from living in the victory that already belongs to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So he charges and he condemns. What else does he do? Verse 35 teaches us that he seeks to separate us. The Bible said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This simply means to place room or distance between. Now to the believer, Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. So when the enemy comes to try to separate you from God, it is all optics. It is perception. It is to cause you to believe, that, and we use this expression all the time, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I understand that theological, what you mean, but let me tell you something, you can't get away from God. He said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you as a believer. Now, from your frame of reference, from your perspective, from your place of obedience, you may be further from God than you need to be. But so far as there being distance between you and God, the Bible says who's going to do it? Who has the power to do that? Nobody. Absolutely right. Nobody has the power to do that. Not even yourself. He said no man should be able to pluck you out of my hand. This is the plot of the enemy to charge you, to condemn you, to separate you from the Father, if not literally, because that's impossible, at least uh, in your mind, so that you will live a defeated Christian existence. Thinking, well, I disappointed the Lord. And so many times we have this misconception of what it takes to please the Lord. I want to give you something this morning that will set you free if you'll listen to it and take it to heart. Do you want to know how to please the Father? Trust His Son. Trust His Son. That's how you please the Father. This is the work that He's called us to that we might believe in Him and whom He has sent. 
You want to know what the works of God are? The works of God are to believe in Jesus Christ. To trust Jesus Christ. If you'll put your trust in Christ. I'm not talking about putting your trust in your ability to serve the church. And your trust in your ability to serve God. And I know we want to please God. And we need to show works uh, that are fruit for repentance and all that. But listen to me. I'm not working for God uh, to prove to God my worthiness. To prove to God uh, that He should bless me or that He should uh, anoint me or he, he should use me mightily. Because after all, I've been faithful to Him uh, and I earned the right to be used of God. No, we don't work for God uh, uh, to gain brownie points with Him or to earn His favor. His favor has already been put upon us through His shed blood. Uh, uh, we work for God to glorify Him and to bring others to Him, not to convince Him of our worthy state with Him. So we need to change our perspective about why and how we work for the Lord. This is a delivering word for somebody. Because you've been working so hard, but you're constantly disappointed in the weakness of your flesh. And you're constantly living with a defeated spirit and a defeated mind and a defeated attitude. And you're like, will I ever measure up? My friend, you never did and you never will and you should never try to measure up. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will please the Father today. Amen. This is a lie of the enemy. This is the plot to charge, to condemn, to try to separate. But now let's look at God's plan that counteracts the plot of the enemy. He has an answer for all three of these. While the enemy, for example, is charging the elect, the Bible says in verse 33, uh, it is God that justifies. So get this, uh, if we are being charged or it's being said of us that we owe a debt uh, uh, that we should pay, but it's already been paid for, the Bible says God took care of it by justifying us. This literally means uh, that He renders us just or innocent. So when God renders you just and innocent, uh, no one has the legal authority to charge you for a debt that Jesus Christ has already paid on your behalf. I'm talking about this is the plan of God. Amen. I'm talking about this is war. Amen. I remember studying my Bible and I read where Adam and Eve plunged the whole human race into sin and no doubt it broke the heart of God as men were separated from God. But God already had a plan from before the foundation of the earth. God rolled up His sleeves and got to work on a plan of redemption so that never again would men have to be separated from a holy God and he made a way so that we could be justified declared innocent declared righteous through the blood of Christ and you need to learn how to stand in the righteousness of Christ alone and quit trying to stand on the righteousness of your grounds never argue with the devil about what you did for God you'll lose the battle you'll lose the argument with the devil because for every good thing you can bring the devil up for what you did for God, he can bring up ten things that you did against God. And he'll have you just so depressed and discouraged, you'll want to quit church. You want to quit teaching Sunday school. You want to quit uh, helping the neighbor. Amen. You want to quit giving because you say, well, what's the use? My goodness, I didn't realize I was that bad. Some, some people misbehave so much they think, can a Christian even live like this? Can we park right here a minute? I'm trying to help you. I do believe that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. Mm -hmm. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But the Bible does not teach 
a state of sinless perfection until we get our glorified bodies. Simply put, you can still sin after you're saved. And you can still mess up after you're saved in your flesh. And I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that you're lost because you did something that quote-unquote only lost people could do. Because newsflash, as long as you're in your fleshly body that's corrupt by sin, you can do anything a lost person could do if you forget who you are and whose you are in Christ. Now, do I believe that there'll be a grief over that? Yes. Do I believe you'll be chastened as a child of God over that? Absolutely. But don't come to the notion of thinking, well, I must be lost because I have this struggle. No, you have the struggle because you live in a body that's still cursed by sin. And it still wants what it wants, whether your spirit wants it or not. Amen. Even Paul the Apostle said that there was a war in his members. Are we to pretend like that we're any better than Paul the Apostle? You've been listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle. If you enjoyed today's message, we invite you to subscribe to True North on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to share these with your friends and family, too. This could be a great way to start a conversation about Christ and study the Word together. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to request prayer, please get in touch with Pastor Gary by emailing contact at garycoddle.com. That's contact at Gary, C-A-U-D-I-L-L dot com. True North is a ministry of Gary Cottle Ministries. You can find out more by visiting our website, garycoddle.com. Would you like to come worship with Pastor Gary? Simply visit garycoddle.com for more details on where he pastors and how you can plan a visit. If you're not in the area, we still encourage you to find a local church body where you can learn from God's Word and spend time with other believers. It will be a place for you to grow in faith, find support, and serve in ways you are uniquely designed to. With that, our time with you has come to a close today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on True North.